do we equip our families with a biblical worldview? How do we prepare the next generation for life? How do I grow in my walk with the Lord and in my marriage? If you wrestle with these questions, you are in the right place to find answers. Welcome to the Entrusting the Faith podcast. Welcome to the Entrusting the Faith podcast. I'm your host, Eric Rutherford, and I'm excited today because I have with me Mike Novotny. He is a pastor at The Core, which is a church in downtown Appleton, Wisconsin. He's as well as a spiritual leader and lead speaker for Time of Grace, which is a media ministry that reaches just a ton of people, national television audience, 400,000 a week. He is an author of several books, and today I get to talk with him about his newest book, What's Big, Start Small. Mike, welcome to the show. Hey, it's great to see you again, Eric. Yeah, it's good to see you again. So wanted to definitely dive into the book, but for everybody listening, if they didn't get a chance to hear our first, the, the episode we did before, would you tell us just a little bit about your background? Yeah, so the... The short version, which is almost always impossible for a pastor to give the short version of any. <laughs> Our short version is like Psalm 119. It just keeps going and going and going. And going. Yeah, so I'm, I live here in the Midwest, kind of raised in Green Bay, Wisconsin, home of the Packers, married now for 19 years and change. I just hit the teenage stage with my daughters. So I got a 14 year old named Brooklyn, almost a 13 year old named Maya. Been in ministry for 15 years full time. I love reading books. I love playing soccer. I try not to sin on the soccer field, but that is that's a coin flip to see how things go. So I'm trying to I'm trying to get sanctified in my competitiveness. <laughs> I think the day when I actually can bite my tongue with a referee, Jesus is going to return and like the world will end. So <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit of my story. Oh, oh that's awesome. I, I think we all have those areas where where God is definitely pruning and sanctifying us. So I appreciate that. <laughs> yes, indeed, indeed. <laughs> I'm always afraid, like one of the referees is going to turn and say, hey, aren't you a pastor? And then it's just, so yeah, what do you do? Let your light shine. I, 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 need, some, I need some hope, Eric. Give me some, <laughs> how do I fix my spiritual problems? Let's turn this into a counseling session. <laughs> oh, indeed. Well, well, I tell you what, let's just jump into your book. What's big, start small. Tell us about it. So the whole book is basically a deep dive into the parable of the sower. So listeners may or may not know Jesus loved to teach in parables, which are kind of made up stories to understand spiritual things. And there's, I think my count was 30 separate parables in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, those three gospels. But the parable of the sower gets more space than out of all 30. So if the Holy Spirit was trying to say, like, pay attention to this story, pay attention to this story, here it is, the parable of the sower. And uh, the book was really me digging into it and kind of, you know, kind of cracking the question, why is it that some people, some of us who go to church or read our Bibles or listen to podcasts like yours, like we, we hear God's powerful word, and yet sometimes it feels like we're kind of stuck in the same spiritual spot. Right? Like if the word is a seed and seeds are supposed to grow into something big and beautiful, why is it that we can go to church for a few weeks or a few months or even a few years and it feels like our faith isn't growing into something big and beautiful? So as I dug into Jesus's story, the parable of the sower, I found some really clear, really challenging and uh, really empowering answers from Jesus. 
No, and that's that is powerful because I think as believers, I think all believers would say they've wrestled with that at some point in time in their lives. Now, is that something where you were, you thought about this, like you've been talking with people and they're struggling with it? Is that something you were kind of wrestling with? Is it just like, wow, I'm taking an inventory of, of my church or the churches around me. And I see this is just a common theme. Like what, what was, or all, I, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Eventually I got there. It's a, it's a long meandering story. I was actually trying to write a different book and I was trying to write a book about the importance of understanding the Bible and not just like nodding your head if you don't understand what redemption means or something like that. And there's a line in the parable of the sower where it says that, you know, if you don't understand the word, the devil comes and snatches it away from you so it doesn't grow. So I started really in the parable of the sower, a totally different reason. But the more I started to dig into it, I started to discover these layers that like, oh, okay, you know, maybe the reason I'm not growing is this thing that's happening, or Jesus brings up a couple of other things. I, I counted six separate threats to really great growing faith. So yeah, it, it wasn't like a problem in my church or my own life. <laughs> I was actually really passionate about topic A. And then Jesus kind of said, hey, how about topic B? And it ended up becoming a book that's been really helpful for me. It's fascinating because, you know, you, you, you approach scripture, you're studying scripture, and you you're approaching it with with a bigger picture or a broader scope in mind and yet as you get into the word the holy spirit does reveal i mean he shows himself it's not and within the context of everything and so i think that's a great example of even of how we should approach scripture right it's it's yeah. it's with diligence and with care and and yeah. really seeing what the lord has yeah it, and the ironic part was when I really dug into the parable of the sower, I was totally wrong about my interpretation of the original idea. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, like, oh, you don't understand the Bible because you don't understand the jargon. The devil snatches it away. When I actually dug into it, I found out I wasn't even interpreting that passage correctly. So I was trying to write a book on a misinterpretation of something Jesus said. So I think maybe that's why the Holy Spirit said, let's, <laughs> let's take you on a bit of a detour because let's write a book that Jesus actually taught instead of one that you just think he did. <laughs> but that's a great, just a candid comment. Like, Hey, we need, we, we approach scripture and we, we don't get to, to decide what scripture says. Scripture yeah. says what, what God says. And so we just need to go into it as like, okay, what yes. are you telling me, Lord? What are you, yeah. what are you saying? Yeah. So I, I think that's a great reminder for me too. It's like, okay, I got to start with what God says. And then, then I can go from there. Yes. Yeah. Context <laughs> is a killer. I mean, it totally, <laughs> it, it pulls the rug out under all your previously held ideas. So yeah. Yeah. Reading Jesus in context is kind of what led to this book. Who's your audience for this book? Is this, who's, who do you have in mind? Yeah. The short answer is people who have a regular connection with the Bible. So this isn't a book for church skippers. It's a book for churchgoers. It's not for people who struggle and they go weeks and weeks without ever hearing the gospel or opening the, the Bible at home. It's for people who have that regular connection. And the reason I kind of chose that audience is because, you know, if, if people haven't heard it before, the parable of the sower is Jesus saying this guy goes out, he sows this seed, and some of the seed falls on this hard path, it gets snatched up, some falls on rocky soil, starts to grow, but then it withers with the sun. Some of it 
is grown pretty well, but is getting choked out by weeds and thorns. And then finally, some of it falls on good soil and it grows. And these were different metaphors to describe different kinds of people. In Jesus' interpretation, though, when he describes all, all of those groups, like the good soil, the rocky soil, the weedy soil, the hard path, he uses the exact same phrase every time. He said, those people are like those who hear the word and, and then he finishes the sentence in different ways. So it wasn't like, if you skip hearing the word, if you don't go to church, you're like the rocky soil, you're not going to grow. No, he actually says every single time verbatim, these are the people who hear the word, but something gets in the way. And so it's really fascinating. You know, some people get into bad habits where we're just disconnected from the Bible that happens, you know, throughout life. But this is really for people like me who, who are there every Sunday. Well, I have to be there every Sunday because they pay me to be, so <laughs> I, I'm in trouble to us. But yeah, it's, I think it's for devout Christians or people who have a serious love for the Bible. And Jesus just asks, offers this explanation. Why can Bible hearers end up in such spiritually diverse places? And the parable of the sower has the answer. I appreciate that. And that's something I think believers don't want to admit that we go through that because, I mean, if you are being consistent in the words, you're being consistent in serving and being a part of a local body of believers, you're, it feels like you're always supposed to be like on fire, everything's mm. green, full tilt, mm. you know, let the rocks and the arrows come. We're just going to kill it. But that's not life. So I appreciate that you're like, hey, this is, this is for believers who are running the race, but mm. who who are just struggling. Yeah. And, and yeah. with that. Yeah. It, it, his analogy is so clear because he says the word of God is like a seed. You know, we believe that seeds have great potential. That's kind of where the title of the book comes from. You know, what's really big starts really, really small. So a tree, beautiful tomato plant, you know, who, who would ever thought it starts as this dinky little, you know, smaller than your fingernail seed. But we also know that seeds, you, you know, you don't just throw them in the dirt, say, hey, there we go, fruit. <laughs> like, no, you, you know that even though the seed is an essential part, it's not the last, sowing the seed, putting it in your garden isn't the last step if you actually want to produce something big in the end. There's bugs, there's birds, there's the dry Tennessee heat of summer, <laughs> you know, there's rabbits, there's all, all these things that can happen. And so I, I think that's the really, oh yeah kind of duh, obvious idea, going to church or opening the Bible is like sowing the seed. Perfect place to start. But it's not the end of the story. Now we got to make sure we can protect the thing that we heard on Sunday so it can actually grow into what God intends it to be. Now, and I appreciate that. That's a great distinction of that process. And so what happens, you know, if we, if we feel stuck in our faith, we feel like we're in a rut, what what causes that? Is it, yeah. is it just, is it me getting in my own way? Is it, you know, is it, you know, environment? What's the impetus behind that? Yeah. When I read, so there's three versions of the parable, of the sower, there's one in Matthew 13, another in Mark four, and then a last one in Luke chapter eight. And the, the versions of the story are a little bit different in Jesus explanation. So it seems like this was a story he told often. And I counted six separate threats that Jesus lists that come in between hearing the word and the word bearing great fruit. 
So my answer, I think Jesus' answer to your question is, you know, what happens? Why do we get stuck? Why doesn't it, why doesn't church work, so to speak? The the six threats that I count or that I listed were pride, pain, worries, wealth, wanting, and not waiting. So pride, pain, worries, wealth, wanting, not waiting. Those are the six chapters that kind of make up the bulk of the book. And let me give you the 30-second recap of all six of them real fast. So pride is actually where you don't understand the word because you kind of don't want to, right? Maybe you kind of know this is going to call me to repentance. You know, if I'm the husband who's like stubborn, stuck in my ways, and I go to church and the pastor said, hey, hey, we're going to talk about the ways that husbands can love their wives like Christ loved the church. And you know, if my guard goes up and I'm like, oh, I don't want to hear, it. he's probably going to tell me I got to say sorry or something, do more, you know? So sometimes it's just, I, I don't want to change. I, I don't want to hear what the Bible has to say about sexuality or obeying my parents or speaking well of the governing authorities or biblical stewardship and budgeting. You know, if you're doing something, you have a hunch that God's not cool with it. Maybe you want to seem, I think of it like the Pharisees, right? They want to seem very religious, but when Jesus tries to correct them with the truth, oof, you know, the guard is up. So that's, that's pride. I said, I'd take 30 seconds for each of these. I feel like that was 90 seconds. So you're not, you don't have a clock. We're good. Right? We'll all round right. down. It's all good. All right. all right. I'll go faster. Pain is where maybe you love the word. Jesus says you receive the word with joy and you spring up real fast. But then when the people around you make it painful for you to hold on to the word, you know, picture that young woman who is like all in for Jesus. She goes to church. She hears about, you know, the king of heaven loves me. He gave his son for me. But then she goes back to her friends and let's say her friends are gossiping or her boyfriend wants to cross some line sexually with her. Like sometimes it's the outside sources, like a hot sun that kind of like wither that initial passion we had for our faith. So pride is kind of what starts within. Pain is the persecution that comes from outside. Then the next three are all in the same category for Jesus. He says the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the wanting or the desire for other things choke the word so that it doesn't bear fruit. And this is the one I'd, I'd love to dig a bit deeper on with you. Yeah. You know, essentially Jesus is saying sometimes if you're trying to squeeze a little bit of Bible or church into your crazy busy schedule, you might be able to hear the word, but just like a seed in the garden, you actually need a good chunk of soil and space for the roots to go down and for the plant to start to produce fruit. That I, I think maybe the number one issue that we Christians have that get in the way of our spiritual maturity is that it's not that we skip church, it's just that we squeeze in church to these very narrow windows of time in our overly booked schedules. So the worries of this life, I'm so worried if my kid isn't in club sports, I'm so worried if I don't, you know, volunteer for this thing. I'm so worried if I don't go to the party they invited me to, and I'm just busy, 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 busy. And the deceitfulness of wealth, like I, I got this job, but now it's more hours and I was able to buy this house, but I didn't know how long it was going to take to cut the grass and the desire for other things. Well, I just, I want to stay in touch on social media and I want to catch the game. And I love following the, the Tennessee Titans or, you know, it's all this stuff. that's not bad. It's just put together. It makes you so busy that, you know, you go to church on Sunday, but you're pulling out your phone before you're even back in your car and you're checking work emails and looking at your schedule and rushing the kids to the weekend tournament. 
And Jesus says when, when that happens, it's exactly like a garden. The seed might not die, but those thorns and weeds will, will choke it. They'll use the nutrients so that the good seed will never get to maturity and actually producing fruit. Oh, wow. That's powerful. And that was one of the things I was wondering if there was like one th threat, you know, bigger than the others, one that we need to be on guard for more than the others. Yeah. It sounds like, like that combination of each of those three, depending on which way it's going yeah. is, is really the biggies. I, yeah. For friends and colleagues who have read this book, they've said, like, <laughs> that was the chapter I did not want to read, but I needed to, <laughs> you know, it just, it explains so much. And yeah, will people just be hearing this or will they see us on Zoom too? There, if you want to throw it up there, I don't know if we will get the video up not, or not, but throw it up there anyway. And if you yeah. have a description, go for it. Sure. Yeah. So I'm holding it in my hand. Eric can see here on the Zoom, a little packet of tomato seeds. So on the front of the package are these beautiful vine ripened red tomatoes. And on the back of the package are these little small print instructions from the, the gardening experts that basically tell you, hey, if you want this on the front, here's what you got to do in the back. Super fascinating. I never knew this. About half the directions on the back of this package of tomato seeds are about the space that the seeds require. Huh. So they say, make sure you don't put, I mean, these seeds are good. They can grow into these beautiful tomatoes, but if you put too many tomato seeds in the same spot, th there's not going to be enough soil for any of them to actually grow big. And if you put your like rows of tomato seeds or vegetables too close together, once they start putting down roots, they're going to cross over and there won't be enough space to grow. And so literally gardeners say, <laughs> if you want something big, you kind of have to be a minimalist. You have to leave a bunch of blank space in the soil when you first put the seed into it, because over time, that's going to grow, fill up, and produce the thing that you want in the end. Wow. Yeah. Isn't that profound when you think of that is. spiritual things? Yeah. Like, yeah, that cuts deep, I have to admit, you know, but it makes so much sense because... It, but we don't think about that margin, that space naturally, or maybe we just don't want to, right? We just think we can do just a little bit more and a little bit more. Yes. And, yes. and, and that space, that margin requires us to do less. Yes. So true. Yeah. So some practical examples, let's say I hear a really beautiful gospel sermon in church on Sunday, or I read something just profound about God's love in my morning devotion. Psalm chapter one says, blessed is the one who meditates on the word of God. So, wow, that could bear such great joy and peace in my heart if I had time to think about it, right? But if I'm squeezing in that little morning devotion, then boom, I'm just, you know, next 14 hours are busy, busy, busy. Well, there's not enough space in my brain, actually, for that gospel promise to produce just the comfort that God intends by it. Or let's say the Sunday sermon is love your neighbor or share your faith. Okay, that's great. That's a great start. But I think my, I think my neighbor might need at least 30 seconds of my time to feel loved. Mm. You know, maybe my neighbor is putting his boat in the water or my neighbor is going through a divorce. Ooh, what a great opportunity to produce fruit, but it's, it's probably going to take a little bit of time. And if there's no margin in my schedule, I can't, God put the seed in my heart on Sunday 
but there's no space for it to grow on Tuesday. Right. So Jesus is just like, he's been, I think we know this in the back of our brain that good marriages and good parenting and being a good friend or a good neighbor, it, it, it takes space and time. There's no shortcuts to that, just like the garden. But yeah, maybe that's how the devil tricks us. He doesn't make us do bad things. He just keeps us so busy with lots of things. That is, that, that is true. And I think it is just getting worse or, or more, you know, I think there are just so many more things that take up our time today, mm-hmm. even than 10 years ago, Yes, or it just feels like it is just, everything is, is crowding in. And like you say, yes. it's not necessarily that they're bad. Yeah. It's just that they're not best. Yes. So true. Yeah. I, I explore four of those in one of the chapters. I think of news, I think of sports, I think of shows, and I think of apps, mm-hmm. you know, the news when you and I were growing up came in a paper that had a start and an end to it. So if you wanted to keep up with the news, even if you read the whole paper, it was done. Nowadays, if you want to watch the news, what happens? Yeah. It I mean, never the, ends. It never <laughs> ends. The, the notifications, the updates, the, it's, it's constant. Same with shows. I mean, even if you had a favorite show back in the early 90s, you'd watch your 30 or 60 minutes and then you'd wait a week. <laughs> no more. Right. So to me, Jesus's teaching feels more relevant than ever because there, even if it's not a sinful or a bad thing, there's just so much more of all the other things that if you're not really intentional about it, before you know it, you're going to be spending two hours on your phone every day and you're going to be absorbed in the news. You're going to check all your apps in the morning and it just will, it will just crowd out your soul and it will get in the way of the thing that we all want, which is spiritual maturity and growth. Mm. Is true, and it's it's that it's that sneakiness, right? Which is what what the what Satan uses, right? Mm-hmm. It and it's that it creeps, and it's it's subtle, and yet you you start looking around, and it's like, oh wow, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that actually that happened to me writing the book. I have a bit of an addictive personality, so I have to be super careful. I hadn't played video games since my kids were little, but for Christmas we bought like a Nintendo Switch for my youngest mm-hmm. daughter. And I'm playing Mario Kart and stuff, and it's fun. Well, I decided to buy my own game. This, this is going to make me sound dorky, but I bought like the new Zelda game because I grew up playing oh, yeah. Zelda on Nintendo. Uh-huh. And this game is so good. And, you know, when my wife kind of crawls in bed, I kiss her on the forehead and I go downstairs and play Zelda. And what do you know? Well, I'm like 90% of the way through the Zelda game. I'm getting right to like the final part. And I start studying the, the parable of the sower. And the, the stupid, sorry, I shouldn't be this harsh. The stupid people at Nintendo, they actually will keep track of how many hours and minutes you play their game. So every time I would log on, it would say, you played for 12 hours and 21 minutes, and you, you know? And it hits me like, oh man, I, I just thought I was, you know, let me play just for a few minutes tonight. And actually the hard data of like, it's not just a few minutes, Mike, this has become... It's become hours and hours and hours and you didn't intend to, but when's the last time you crawled in bed next to your wife and opened a Bible and like talked about how your soul's doing mm. like it Zelda isn't an evil thing, but it was kind of a cold Turkey. I just put the controller down and I haven't picked it up since like it, it's not bad, but it's just not the best. And that's a great, I mean, that's a great example of, 
of creep, like all of those things you said, like, like apps, like sports, the news, any of the entertainment, all of that stuff, it, it creeps in and yeah, that, that counter, right. That time mm. counter mm. is something that's not there or, or we don't want to look at it. Right. Yeah. We really don't want to be honest with ourselves about it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Man. There's, I think the most depressing website I talk about it in the book, it's just a, a blank screen with a single search bar in the middle. And you type in any show that you've seen on TV or on Netflix or Hulu, and it pops up and then you pick how many seasons of it you've seen. And then you hit enter and it tells you the total amount of time it took you to watch friends or the office or Grey's anatomy. And you can actually stack shows and it is, it is absurd. I actually did this in a sermon. I compared like the amount of time it takes to read the Bible cover to cover and said, like, if you've seen every episode of friends, you could have read the Bible like four times old and new Testament. (laughs) <laughs> no, no one thought I was a good pastor after that. Yeah, sermon, but, right? yeah it's it uh, in the book, right? If you're listening, you're thinking, oh, this sounds like a terrible book. I'm not I'm not asking anyone. I don't think Jesus is either. Like you can never watch the news or you can never, you know, play sports again. I think he's just saying, let's know what the number is. Let's evaluate it as mature Christians and figure out, do I have space in my life for this? Maybe I do. Maybe I don't. And let's just be honest about what it is. So unintentionally, we don't try to grow a garden and wonder, huh, like I, just the fruit isn't coming. I think Jesus provides a really clear answer to that. Wow. No, that's a, that's a great point. And so like where, cause I feel like that is, is like pertinent to like all believers, at least here in these United States, we'll call it definitely in the Southeast because yeah, it just creeps in and, and that's definitely weighty. And, but, but like you say, there's hope. What, where can we find that hope? Like what's, what's an action step we can do to say, okay, I, I know what I want, but I'm not, I'm not getting it. Right. Because there is great hope in this. Yeah. Yeah, the hope actually surprised me after digging into Jesus' parable for weeks and weeks. You know, I'm studying, okay, here here are these six threats or here are these different kinds of soils and sometimes the seed grows and sometimes it doesn't. And then I actually get to this verse where Jesus himself gives the name for the parable. And I would have thought that Jesus might have called it the parable of the soils, right? Like if I was preaching on it, I'd probably give it that title, like the your soul and the four soils, like, which one are you? But Jesus didn't call it that. Maybe I would have thought he would have called it the parable of the seed. Like, okay, just like a seed, God's word has great potential. It could become something big, but just like a seed, it could get snatched up or choked out. So you gotta, you gotta protect its potential. But actually Jesus didn't call it that either. He himself calls it in the gospels, the parable of the sower. And the first time I read that, I thought, well, Jesus, that's the wrong title. That's, <laughs> that's not, I mean, you told the story, but you didn't, the, the sower wasn't a major character in your story. And then it kind of hit me like, maybe that's the hope of this. You know, there's some hard gardening work. I think for us to do pulling out thorns is a painful process. It's a constant process. And so I, Jesus challenges us in this story, but I love the fact that he's saying, Hey, let's not forget this whole story. And the whole story of your, your very soul, 
it's the story of the sower. It's the story of the God who didn't just toss some seed and some word at your heart and then just walk away and sip on a lemonade in his air conditioned, you know, Nashville home. He's like, he's the God who keeps working in the soil of our hearts. He's the God who, who gets rid of the, the messiness, who forgives our sins, who empowers us with the spirit. So I, I think the hope in the story isn't the work that we have to do, even though there is good work for us to do. I think the hope is you don't do the work alone. Our father, who's a great gardener, is forgiving and patient and kind. He doesn't, he doesn't just like tear out the garden and throw some grass seed because you're such a mess. He's just constantly concerned about the, the health of our souls, and he's willing to work with all of his grace and all of his spirit to help us become the best Christians that we can be. And that's huge, right? Because remembering that, setting it, setting it up like that and really thinking it through, which which you have, and, and I'm with you. I would think of it, it's the soils, but it's if it's the sower, it takes some pressure off. There's like you say, there's still action on our part, right? Yep. We we don't it, it just doesn't poof, there it is, and you know, everything's good. Hmm. But at the same time, you know, it's it's the Lord that's gonna do the work. And so as we we get in concert with him hmm. and let him do do the stuff that only God does, then then that change happens. Yep. So that, that's, that's definitely reassuring. And, and it's, I don't have to go, okay. Okay. So I got these 10 things I've got to do today <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> in order to fix this. And I'm going to add it to the other 33 that I've got outside of, you know, this whole faith thing. And <laughs> mm, yeah, um, but it's like, okay, I just need to pause. I need to let God do what God's doing. Okay. Lord, here's, here's room. Yeah. Yeah, please work. Yeah, so true. That's such such good news for me. Like before we get overwhelmed and before we throw up our hands and say this, I'm, I'm never going to be able to be good soil. Jesus shows up and says, I got, I got you. I'm like, <laughs> just watch you and I working together in the field of your heart can do great things. And that's, that is, we need that reminder, right? Every day we need that, that gospel truth spoken. We need to speak it to ourselves every day. Hmm. Right. And, and just that reassurance. It's like, okay, the Lord hasn't left us. He's not hanging us out to dry. We can rest in him. Hmm. And, and, and remember who he is. Like you say, hmm. he is a good father and, and he is in control of all of it. So those are, those are things we just have to hold fast to. And so as people are listening to this, they may be feeling discouraged. It may feel like slow to no growth. This may be I'll say a wake up call, or maybe they just haven't really thought about it, right? They, they just haven't thought about it is, is like the first step to say, okay, I just need to, you know, evaluate my schedule. Is it, I just need to pause. Is it, I just need to, how do I begin setting up that stuff around me so that there is room to grow? Yeah. Yeah. I think just being conscious of what the specific threats right now in your life are is a good place to start. So let's imagine I had like an overgrown kind of messed up fruitless garden. I, I think what I'd want to see is just, okay, if I want more fruits a year from now, do I got to check the, I, I got to check the plants, right? I got to see, is it, is it bugs? Is it bunnies, you know, nipping at the buds? Is it just do I not have enough water? Is this not getting enough sun? 
So what we would do in a garden is just kind of evaluate what the threats are so we could find the solution. I had a college professor back when I was 18, 19. He was this amazing German bachelor. His name was Daniel Deutschlander. How about that for a German name? That is an awesome <laughs> German name. <laughs> it, it really is. It really is. My favorite quote for he, he was a good Lutheran. So we, we took his 95 best quotes and on Reformation Day, we, we nailed them to his office door. The... <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So he would have these great quotes, but he was a brilliant teacher, a great theologian. And I remember him saying, Instead of reading the parable of the sower and trying to find like, you know, which one am I, he would always ask the question, which combination am I right now? Like, is my biggest problem right now pride? Am I just so worried about disappointing people that I've overbooked myself? We didn't talk about this one, but am I not waiting? Like maybe I'm doing some good spiritual things, but seeds don't turn into tomatoes in two days. So I just got to stick the course and, and run the race and keep going. So he always talked that, you know, what combination am I right now? And how has that changed from a year ago? So I think your question, that, that's what I would do. I would just, you know, with, without like beating yourself up with shame and condemnation, just kind of figure out, okay, what, what's probably getting in the way of my spiritual growth? What would it look like to change that? Has that been changing? Am I, am I moving in a good direction? And I think just asking some diagnostic questions, so just like who would with a backyard garden is uh, the best way to begin. No, and that that makes sense, and that's that's something that each of us, each of us can do. That's within our within our grasp, and I like how you you talked about the. It can be a combination of things. What combinations of soil? Hmm. Because I can see, depending, it could be multiple. Yeah, multiple combinations depending on on the day or the week or the season. You know, it's just hmm. like okay, where am I at? And I also just brought to mind really the example you just, with those tomato seeds, right? Because the way you talked about earlier is like, if you want what's on the front of the package, you got to do what's on the back of the package. And so yes. it's, it is like you talked about, yeah, let's look back. Let's see, are we moving in a good direction? And then it's like, okay, so if I want, if I want those ripe tomatoes next year, what do I need to adjust so mm -hmm. that I'm, I'm bearing the good fruit, right? In the, in yes. the, in the good soil. So that that's, that's like a target we can aim for, right? Mm -hmm. if just deciding what it is, we, what kind of fruit we want. Cause it's not yes. completely out of our control. Yes. Yeah. Well said. That's, that's really cool. And that's a great, I'm, I'm, I'm bouncing that imagery all around in my head thinking, Oh, this is, man, I got to own this one. Right. You yeah. know, it's like, what, what do I need to fix starting today to, to make that room. So before we, before we wrap up any for families listening to this and that's something else is this is one thing for ourselves, right? This is one thing for, for me individually, but, but especially as parents, how do we, how do we help, help our families mm. kind of establish and think through some of this, because it's really easy and not only for us, but for our kids and the whole household and just to be trying to yep. fit everything in, what's something we can do to kind of think through that just as a family? Yeah. Great question. Yeah. I'm feeling this right now. I mean, I'm going to have my first high schooler here in a couple of weeks, my parents, my mother-in-law getting older in their seventies. So a little bit busier kind of helping them out and doing things for them. So yeah, my wife and I are kind of in that stage where it's like, oh, we need to be really intentional about life or the busyness is just going to 
It's like a black hole that will suck us in. I, you know, the beautiful thing about Jesus's stories is that they're so, you know, just like you were saying, if I tell you a seed needs space in a garden to grow, you're, you think, well, yeah, duh. (laughs) (laughs) And and then, you know, once Jesus connects the dot and he says, oh yeah, the Sunday sermon needs some space to grow too. And then you say, oh, right. (laughs) So I, I think with families, just use Jesus's analogy. Teach your kids, t- tell your spouse, like, man, God wants to do such big things in our life. That's why we go to church. Cause when he speaks to us, oh, man, his, his promises, the gospel can just be so good and such a rock that we can stand on in life, but it's going to need some space. So let's look at our schedule. Let's look at all the things we're doing. We're doing piano lessons and we're doing cheerleading and we're doing volleyball and we're going to help out grandma and grandpa and we want to go to the cabin or we want to play t-ball like i think just families sitting down and being honest you know look at a schedule and does it make you say okay or does it make you go oh okay that's that's why we're impatient with each other yeah that's why dad is so stressed oh that's why my daughter feels so anxious about all these things she has to get done and she's supposed to sleep eight hours a night. And like, I I think just, I I don't think it's that complicated actually. When you think about space, when you look at a family schedule, I think it explains why some families are joyful and peaceful and patient and others are just the opposite. That is true. And that's, I, I can see that, you know, in our own, in my own family, you know, with different, different families in our church. Yeah. It's like trying to get everything done. And it's like, do we, do we need to get everything done mm-hmm. or what, what are the, what are the main things that we need to get done? And and then let's let everything else yeah, fill the space as, as needed, but making sure we, we make the main things the most important. Yeah. And I would want families who are listening to be honest. So Jesus says the kind of clutter and busyness is like the seed amidst the thorns. And what I know about thorns is that they grow without you trying to grow them, right? Just the weed show, unless my wife was putting weed seeds in the garden while I was sleeping, which I don't think she did. Like they, they just happen. You don't intend them to. So yeah, busyness happens and thorns are, well, they're thorns. So they're painful to pick out. So I just want families to know being less busy will be a painful process. Hmm. Maybe you've been volunteering somewhere for 10 years to say to someone, you know what, things are just, I'm at a stage of life where I, I wish I could, but I can't. As p- disappointing people is going to be painful. Like not having the perfect home or the perfect yard. Maybe being the kid who doesn't start on the team because you're not playing every club sport and you're away from family meals four days a week. Like, it's, it's painful. It's painful not being able to do everything to not be the best church member or friend or, you know, and so I, I just want to prepare families for that. It's the right thing to do. Just like pulling thorns out of your garden is the right thing to do, but it's going to be a hard thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you don't think about just the pain of the moment, if you think about six months from now and what could grow in a, a reasonable schedule, like keep your eyes on that. Just like a good gardener were, I'm, 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 I might not see the tomatoes yet, but I'm pulling out these weeds and I'm working the soil because six months from now, I'm going to have something that my neighbor does not. I'm going to have this beautiful produce that I, I really want that God really wants to give. 
Yeah, and that's a that's a great example. And I I like the the different types of things you were discussing. And one thing that popped into my mind is you talk about sometimes you have to say no even to good things. Mm-hmm. And I I can as you evaluate those things, sometimes that means not serving everywhere in the church or not serving in 12 different ministries or, or, you know, I'm, I'm all about, you know, I I always encourage people. Okay. If if we're believers, we are called to serve, Mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean we need to be everywhere. Mm -hmm. And that those are hard things to do because that, that sort of gets into that, that pride thing and, and disappointment. Like I don't want to let people down. Yes. But at the same time, yeah, we can't do it. Right. It's just not possible. It's not how gardens work. So, no, yeah. no, it's fascinating. And, you know, one of the threats is the worries of this life. The Greek word in the new Testament that Jesus uses is the exact same Greek word that he uses with his friend, Martha. Wow. Right. She's running around and Jesus says, quote, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mm. Right. So that Martha is basically the nonfiction example of the fictional story that Jesus is telling. Wow. Like she wasn't a bad person. She was just a busy person. And she missed the best thing that was like right there waiting to give her something much, much better than the perfect meal in the perfect house. Wow. That that's a great image. That's definitely something that I know I'm, I'm wrestling with that as I'm thinking through, you know, what scripture says about her. I know people listening are as well. And I, I, that's a great thing to, to remember. And so just as we wrap up, if people want to, to know more about you, about your ministry, if they want to get a copy of what's big, start small, where, where do you want them to go? Yeah. Best place to get the book is just Amazon. So look up what's big, start small. Once again, Mike Novotny is the author. You can find it there. Other resources, the media ministry that I work with called Time of Grace. Their website is timeofgrace.org. And there's tons of books, podcasts, sermons, mini books, video devotions, regular devotions. So check it out with one caveat. Don't try to read all of them because God's word is like a seed. And if you put too many good seeds in a limited space, none of them are going to grow. So if you want to buy the book, buy the book, but don't buy all the books. If you want to listen to a sermon, listen to a sermon, think about it. Don't listen. Don't binge the sermons. That's not how Mm -hmm. seeds grow. So yeah, do with your spiritual life. Like we're talking with your schedule, just take a little bit of truth. And then the title of this book will come true. What's big starts really small. Oh, that's beautiful. So what we're going to do is I'll make sure. So if you're listening, We'll put links to all of those things in the show notes so you can check them out. Pick one or two and start, and then just kind of let God speak to you through his word and through these resources and really begin that rumination process of, of growing growing deeper. So, Mike, this has been a, a pleasure today. Thank you for joining me. Thanks so much for having me, Eric. If you found this episode helpful, please leave a review for us wherever you listen to podcasts. Doing so will help others to find us. Uh, check out the show notes for resource information. We encourage you to do that for links and other references. We'd like to hear from you so you can message us your questions or comments on Facebook, Instagram, and Entrusting the Faith. You can email us at info at 
If you go to our website, which is www.entrustingthefaith.com, you can sign up to our email list and receive free resources as well as upcoming podcast episode information. So check it out. Lastly, just remember, legacies are built a day at a time. So start now.